Welcome to this presentation of First Baptist Church Loeb. We're glad to have you joining us today. Our mission at FBC Loeb is to bring glory to God by being disciple makers. For that purpose, we present the following resource that it may be a blessing. All right, well, it is a new year, and we are ready to begin a new sermon series. So grab a Bible and turn over to the book of First Thessalonians. First Thessalonians, in case you use one of our pew Bibles, uh, you will find that on page 986. 986. My plan for the first half of 2021 is for us to go through First Thessalonians and then to go through the book of Ruth and then also uh, Paul's letter to the Philippians. And so at least that's what I'm thinking and planning for right now. We'll see what actually happens. But as we get started with 1 Thessalonians this morning, I want to take uh, a few moments to give you some background information that might prove helpful to have in mind uh, as we go through this letter. The city of Thessalonica was a significant location in the Roman Empire. It was the capital of the region of Macedonia, and it had a population of over 100,000 people. It was a major political, commercial, and religious center. It was a popular destination for tourism. And all of this meant that it was an ideal location to reach a lot of people very quickly with the gospel. And we read about Paul's ministry in Thessalonica as we were going through Acts back in, in Acts chapter 17. And we saw that because of, of some pretty intense persecution, Paul had a relatively short stay in Thessalonica. He was there for less than a month. But during that time, Luke records uh, that there were some Jews who came to believe the gospel, along with a large number of Gentiles, including some of the prominent women of the city. And so despite the obstacles, a new church was planted in Thessalonica. But because of the circumstances, there were also still a lot of loose ends that needed to be tied up. Uh, there were a lot of things that Paul did not have the opportunity to teach these new believers. And so after spending brief periods in Berea and then also in Athens, Paul finally arrived in the city of Corinth, where he stayed uh, 18 months. He was there for a year and a half. And it was at some point during that time that he sat down to write this letter to the new church in Thessalonica with some further instructions for their discipleship. There's more to the story than that, and we'll get into that in a couple of weeks, but that's a, that's a helpful framework that, that should help to orient us to what's going on here. And as we get started this morning, as usual, uh, I want us to be careful not to rush past Paul's introductory comments, not to overlook the value of what he says in the very beginning in a rush to get to the heart of the letter. And so uh, as we start the introduction to 1 Thessalonians this morning, we will begin in chapter 1 with verse 1. It says, Paul, Silvanus, and Timothy, to the church of the Thessalonians in God the Father and the Lord Jesus Christ, grace to you and peace. And so as the letter begins, Paul introduces himself as the author of the letter, along with a couple of other men named Silvanus and Timothy. Now, Silvanus is more commonly known as Silas. You may remember that Paul chose him to be his primary partner in ministry after he parted ways with Barnabas back in Acts chapter 15. 
And we also know that Silas eventually went on to work alongside Peter as well, and he actually composed Peter's very first letter uh, for him. Uh, Like Paul, Silas was a Roman citizen, and so he had a Latin name, Silvanus, along with his Hebrew name. And then Timothy was a young man from the city of Lystra who joined Paul's team not long after uh, Silas did. And in the end, Timothy became perhaps Paul's most trusted ministry assistant. And we have Paul's letters to him right after 1st and 2nd Thessalonians. Now we know from Acts chapter 17 that Silas and Timothy were both with Paul when he planted the church in Thessalonica. And here we see that they are writing this letter with him as well. You'll notice in the middle of verse 1 that the letter is directed to the church, the gathered community of believers in the city of Thessalonica. And as always, or at least as usual, Paul ends his introduction with a blessing, uh, a desire for his, re- his readers to continue experiencing God's grace and peace in their lives. Of course, grace is, is the favor, the blessings that God bestows upon those who do not deserve them. We frequently think of grace as the, the motivating factor of God saving us from our sin. Uh, but God's grace also continues to operate in our lives after we become believers, as He provides for us and as He enables us to follow Jesus from day to day. And then peace, which flows out of God's grace to us, uh, is not referring to an absence of conflict or difficulty in life. It's referring to a wholeness or a stability that God gives us despite the difficulties and the challenges of our lives. So Paul, Silas, and Timothy are writing this letter to the new church in Thessalonica, and we'll look at the rest of the introduction as we move into verse 2. He writes, We give thanks to God always for all of you, constantly mentioning you in our prayers, remembering before our God and Father your work of faith and labor of love and steadfastness of hope in our Lord Jesus Christ. For we know, brothers loved by God, that He has chosen you, because our gospel came to you not only in word, but also in power, and in the Holy Spirit, and with full conviction. You know what kind of men we prove to be among you for your sake. And so as we pick up here in verse 2, Paul celebrates what God has done among the Thessalonians. He says, we give thanks to God always for all of you constantly mentioning you in our prayers. And so as Paul and his team consistently pray for this new church, they always do so with thanksgiving. And the reason for their thanksgiving, which is found in verse 3, is because they remember how the Thessalonians came to be characterized by the three primary Christian virtues of faith, love, and hope. And each of those virtues produced a corresponding action in their lives. And so, first of all, we have faith. Right? Faith is an active belief. Right? It, is, it is a trust in who Jesus is and in what he has done to save us from our sin and also in the teachings that he has given to us for our lives. And here Paul draws out what we've seen over and over in our time in the New Testament, which is that genuine faith always expresses itself in our lives, right? True faith in Jesus leads to obedience or to good works, and Paul remembers the Thessalonians' work of faith. 
Second, we see that the Thessalonians were characterized by love. As we have discussed many times before, we know that love is a commitment to the well-being of another person that leads us to sacrifice for their benefit if necessary. Right? You, can, you should be able to tell me that by now as many times as we have gone over that. Right, and with that in mind, it's not surprising that among the Thessalonians, love produced labor which is a, a, a word that refers to hard, difficult activity, right? Actions that take it out of you, so to speak. And while Paul isn't specific on what that labor included, it's clear that the genuine love of these new believers for one another was expressed with concrete demonstrations of sacrificial commitment to the well-being of, of each other. And then finally, as we've also seen before, biblical hope is not simply wishful thinking, as if we are hoping that something happens, but we really don't know whether it will or not. A biblical hope is a confident expectation that God will come through on his promises. We know that when God says he's going to do something, he's going to do it. When God says that something's going to happen, it's going to happen. Right? And so we saw uh, that, the, that we see here that this hope produced steadfastness or endurance among the Thessalonians. Right? The ability to continue in a given course of action despite opposition or difficulty. You may remember that we saw last year in Colossians and Titus that hope is the fuel of the Christian life. Hope is the fuel of the Christian life. Our confidence that God will come through on his promises is what enables us to follow him faithfully, even when that might lead us into difficulty or to suffering. And in a context where persecution was immediate upon their conversion, the Thessalonians no doubt had the opportunity to express and demonstrate their hope from day one by remaining faithful to Jesus in the midst of adversity. And so, putting all of this together, Paul says that he and his team consistently give thanks to God. Well, why do they do that? Because God has done something that is amazing. What is that? Well, he has saved the Thessalonians and brought them into the community of his people. But how do Paul and his team know that God has done this? Well, it's by the way the Thessalonians have responded to the gospel. Right, their response gave evidence that God was at work among them, which is exactly what Paul goes on to reiterate here in verse 5, where he says, For we know, brothers beloved by God, that he has chosen you, because our gospel came to you not only in word, but also in power and in the Holy Spirit and with full conviction. And so, in other words, the gospel message wasn't just interesting information to be affirmed or denied on an intellectual level. No, the, the gospel was effectual. It did something. The Holy Spirit changed the Thessalonians in, in, through the gospel in the ways that Paul has just described. And that change is what gave Paul confidence that they had truly believed. Right, Paul lived to help people come to know and follow Jesus. And nothing brought him more joy than to see God change people's lives through his ministry. And then at the end of verse 5, Paul reminds the Thessalonians of the kind of people that he and Silas and Timothy proved to be among them. And so, 
he's going to come back to this again in a couple of weeks. But for now, it's important for the Thessalonians to remember how Paul and his team conducted themselves among them. You know, it's, it's sometimes objected that religion is really just a tool that people use to control other people. And, and no doubt, in some places and times, that is how it has been used. But for Paul, that could not have been further from the truth. You see, Paul was no hypocrite. He, he uh, was, was someone who practiced what he preached. He didn't call anyone to do anything that he wasn't already doing himself. And he lived by the message that he called other people to embrace for themselves. Right? And that consistency between the message and the messenger gave the gospel a credibility in Thessalonica that it probably would not have had otherwise. And as we move into verse 6, we're going to see that the Thessalonians went on to follow Paul's example and to imitate him in their own lives. And so we'll pick up one last time, beginning in verse 6. He writes, And you became imitators of us and of the Lord, for you received the word in much affliction, with the joy of the Holy Spirit, so that you became an example to all the believers in Macedonia and in Achaia. For not only has the word of the Lord sounded forth from you in Macedonia and Achaia, but your faith in God has gone forth everywhere, so that we need not say anything. For they themselves report concerning us the kind of reception we had among you, and how you turned to God from idols to serve the true and living, the living and true God, and to wait for his Son from heaven, whom he raised from the dead, Jesus, who delivers us from the wrath to come. And so as we pick up again in verse 6, Paul commends the Thessalonians for becoming imitators of him and his team, which is to say that they followed their example. Again, Paul didn't just teach people how to follow Jesus with his words. He modeled what it looked like in his own life. All right, you could become a better disciple as much by watching what Paul did and then doing it yourself as you could by listening to him teach. And there's a, a subtle reminder here about the importance of Christian leaders setting an example for those they lead. Right, going back to verse 2, all of us who follow Jesus should live lives that are consistent with the gospel. But at the same time, those who are in leadership have a particular responsibility to model godliness for those who are under their leadership. Then specifically, we see in the second half of verse 6 that the Thessalonians imitated Paul by receiving the gospel in much affliction with the joy of the Holy Spirit. They received the gospel in much affliction. Persecution didn't simply come to them sometime after they believed. It was there from the beginning. Right? The Thessalonians saw what Paul had to go through while he was preaching to them. So they understood what they were getting into when they first believed. And there's certainly no doubt that, that turning away from sin and idolatry to serve and worship Jesus alone brought, brought uh, consequences to it. They received pushback from, from their own individual uh, social circles, if not from the city as a whole. They experienced pushback on their new faith. Perhaps it was social rejection, or perhaps there were financial consequences to following Jesus. 
Or perhaps there was physical violence that they experienced, just like Paul had. But whatever it was, the Thessalonians endured difficulty with the joy of the Holy Spirit. They didn't fight back. They didn't whine or complain about it. They considered it an honor to suffer for the Lord who had suffered for them on the cross. Right? And, and in this way, Paul says that they became an example to all the other believers in the regions of Macedonia and Achaia. And so Paul and his team followed Jesus, and then the Thessalonians followed them. And now we see that all of the other churches and believers in the regions surrounding them are following the Thessalonians. And, and, and the train goes on and on. In the coming years, we may well find them to be an example for us to follow as well. The rest of the paragraph emphasizes the impact of the Thessalonians. In verse 8, Paul says that the word of the Lord sounded forth, or sounded out, from Thessalonica. And that's a word that that paints a picture of a bell ringing, or, or a trumpet playing loudly and being heard from far, far away. The Thessalonian church began making big waves immediately upon their conversion. People were noticing what was happening with them. As I mentioned back at the beginning, Thessalonica was a major metropolitan area. There were hundreds of thousands of people living there, and even more people who were consistently in and out of the city. And so news spread rapidly. And in fact, we see that word about the Thessalonians traveled so far, so quickly, that people were asking Paul about them before he had a chance to say anything about them himself. If if you see what he says in, in this paragraph, right, he gets to a new area and people find out who he is and they say, hey, you're the guy that was in Thessalonica. We've heard about everything that's going on there. So you're that guy. That's cool. We've heard about you. Can we get a picture? Can we get a selfie on our cell phone with the guy from Thessalonica? And then finally, you'll, you'll notice at the end of the paragraph that Paul puts his own twist on the reputation of the Thessalonians when he describes them as having turned from idols to serve the living and true God and to wait from his, for his son from heaven, whom he raised from the dead, Jesus, who delivers us from the wrath to come. Now, that part is probably not how the rest of the world perceived things, but it's the reality that Paul knows to be true under the surface. And so their embrace of the gospel, their hope in God's promises, leads them to live their lives in light of Jesus' second coming. And so just as we discussed last month during Advent, we celebrate the fact that, that Jesus came, that he was born to save us from our sin, through his life, death, and resurrection, but we also look forward to the time where Jesus will come back to complete our salvation, where we will be spared from God's wrath on Judgment Day because of what Jesus has done for us. And this passing reference here in verse 10 sets up what's going to be a common theme throughout the letter of 1 Thessalonians, and even in 2 Thessalonians for that matter, which is the impact that Jesus' future return should have on how we live our lives today. And so, as we begin Paul's letter, his first letter to the Thessalonians this morning, we see that the Thessalonians' dramatic response to the gospel demonstrated that they had come to genuine faith in Jesus. 
which in turn leads Paul and his team to consistently give thanks to God for what he has done among them. And as we consider the relevance of of the passage for us today, I don't know if you're into New Year's resolutions or not, uh, but, but as we start this new year, I can't help but think, what better goal could we have for this year than that the, all of the things in this passage would come to be increasingly true for us in our lives, both individually and also as a church family? And certainly this passage isn't exhaustive, right? There are all kinds of goals that we could set for ourselves that aren't necessarily discussed here. But if over the course of 2021, if we grow in works of faith and in labor of love for one another and in steadfastness or endurance of hope, then it'll be a really good year for us spiritually. How wonderful it would be if we continued to grow in maturity and faithfulness to God's word in all things to the point that our church became an example for churches around us to follow? What if in in 2021 the gospel sounded forth from First Baptist Loeb like never before in Southeast Texas and beyond? What if the difficulties and the challenges that will inevitably come this year didn't serve to discourage or depress us as much as they, they serve to sharpen our longing for Jesus to come back? I pray that will be so. That that whatever else may happen, whatever 2021 may bring with it, my hope is that this year will be a year of us praising and thanking God for the work that he has done and is continuing to do in and through us. So let's pray together.